We are really excited about the series that is before us now. Uh, rental time, we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about some foundations for living, and then we're going to come back when all of that is done and uh, finish the unfinished series. So, uh, got a story about a house inspector named Mark Lawner. And Mark takes home inspections very seriously. He says when he goes into a home to inspect it for a prospective buyer, he likes to take them through and not only look at the house, but explain to them how various equipment works. And so he was down looking at the water heater, great big 80-gallon water heater with a couple who was considering buying a house, and he took time to uh, show them the shut-off location and how it worked and how they should use it. And as he was doing that, he looked uh, at the wife and said, this 80-gallon tank is, is uh, going to be good for the three of you, and and that fourth little one that's coming. Continued with the conversation, but while they were moving along to another room, the husband whispered into uh, the guy's ears, uh, she's not expecting. He saw a slightly expanding waist and made a presumption that maybe others have made from time to time, and uh, said that, uh, there's going to be enough water here for the four of you. He was humbled and embarrassed, recognizing that he'd made a significant mistake. He apologized. Inspection went through. The couple bought the house. And uh, a couple of months later, he got this email from the husband. Hello, Mark. I posted several positive reviews regarding your inspection. Apparently you are even better at your job than you may be aware. Remember the comment about my wife looking pregnant? Well, after the inspection, I teased her enough to get her to take a pregnancy test, and she was indeed four and a half months pregnant when you did the inspection. Thanks for the heads up. We had no idea before then. I tell that story to, to say this. We're inviting God in this series to talk to us about our hearts, the foundations of our faith. And maybe he's going to reveal something to you, to me, to us over the next six weeks that we aren't even aware needs some changing. We're going to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk about foundations for living. Stuff that uh, really will help us live well. Live well in our relationships at home. Live well in the marketplace. Live well in our church. Live well in the locker room. And we want to share principles that will also help us as we speak into the lives of the next generation. 
So our plan's pretty simple tonight. We're just going to look at three portions of Scripture from Romans chapter 12, the message translation. And then uh, I'll make some comments, and Pastor Donzie will make some comments, and uh, we'll go from there. So first thing, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, and reading out of the message translation. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit without even thinking. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I guess to discuss this well, we need to come up with a definition of culture. John Stonehouse, who is the president of the Colson Center, describes culture this way. What is considered normal for a group of people. What is considered normal for a group of people. Just because everyone else is saying this is normal, this is right, this is the way it is, does not mean that we as people of God accept it and embrace it. Don't become so used to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. There are two primary worldviews, belief systems in the Western world right now. The first one is humanism, a rationalist outlook or system of thought attaching importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters, exalting us, exalting humans, humanism. Appreciated the song set tonight. It's all about Jesus, friends. It's not about us. But humanism has exalted man in terms of belief systems and thinks that we are what makes things tick. We are the ones that matter. Probably the, one of the most horrible examples of that was uh, the Nazi movement in uh, the 20th century. They imposed a new Lord's Prayer in 1934. It went like this. This is not a joke, friends. I wish it was. Adolf Hitler, you are our great leader. Thy name makes the enemy tremble. The Third Reich comes, thy will alone upon the earth. Let us hear daily thy voice and order us by thy leadership, for we will obey you to the end of our lives. We praise thee, hail Hitler. This setting aside of God, this setting aside of God and exalting ourselves, our viewpoints, our opinions, our wants, our desires, don't buy into that thinking without even thinking. The second prominent belief system out there is the moralistic therapeutic deism, uh, which was, uh, the, frame, the phrase was coined by sociologist 
uh, Christian Smith. Uh, and it simply says God exists and he wants us to be nice to each other and to be happy and successful. Yeah, there's a God out there and you just be nice to each other. Everybody be happy, everybody get along. It's that simple. Both of these belief systems are deeply rooted in us. Both of these systems are deeply rooted in the importance of man. And because it's so prevalent, we begin to let it creep into our lives. Don't let it happen, friends. Don't accept what culture is saying without even thinking about it. We are called to be very, very different people. So second thing, uh, in uh, this 12th chapter of Romans, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you. Our culture brings us down, drags us down to a level of immaturity. You see, mature people are considerate of others. They're thinking about others. They're concerned about the needs of others. Immature people, it's all about me, myself, and I. Our culture drags us down to this exaltation of ourselves. Um, and it's an immature place to be. God's got something better for us. So, Pastor Donna, why don't you just dig in here and uh, share a little bit from your heart. So, we're talking about uh, rental time, building, uh, construction, um, making the foundation stronger. Before you can build on, you have to start with good foundations and build, build that so that you can build upon it. And so this is Mother's Day weekend. And so the first reno uh, topic that we're going to talk about over these uh, weeks uh, is parenting. And uh, you're looking at two people here who are not experts in parenting and certainly are still under construction, even though we're now on to the next generation. We're hoping to do better. They sort of keep coming as, as uh, trials. You know, you just keep trying over and over again. Um, and so uh, I don't want to use our words or our expertise, um, but rather it's always best to go to God's words. That's, that's where we all want to go. That's where we all want to be because that's where we all together learn how to be better, how to build stronger. So when I was thinking of this parenting uh, thought, uh, I was right away drawn to one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. And it's in the Old Testament. Some of you might be familiar with it. But if not, uh, you can turn uh, in your Bibles to De Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now, it really is almost the whole chapter, but we won't take the time to, to read through it all. Uh, some of it will be on the board and on the screens, and you can look at that. But I just want to highlight some of it. Uh, I believe uh, this portion of Scripture, and I'm reading it, I, I looked at it in the message translation, and it really points out three things. Kind of three starting points, again, building this foundation. And the first one is, so love 
God, your God. That's basically, I mean, you can't get much more plain than that. The foundation we build on, that we are all building on, is that we need to love God. We need to have that sure foundation. Love God, your God. Um, and then the second one that kind of stands out uh, through these verses is guard well his rules and regulations. God has some rules and regulations. Like that's kind of should be no surprise to any of us. But how long is it that we kind of want to, as John has already pointed out, run our own lives, do it our own way, uh, get our own suggestions? And yet God has very clear uh, rules and regulations. And then the third thing that is pointed out in these verses is the, is the uh, need, the importance of obedience. Obedience for his commandments, for not just now, but for all time. This, this need to continually walk in obedience. So there's a great story uh, in this chapter in Deuteronomy, and I just want to bring out some of it. And I'm going to pick it up in verses, uh, in this, just in the second verse. And it starts off saying this. Today it's very clear that it isn't your children who are front and center here. It's not your children who are front and center here. They weren't in on it, what God did. They didn't see all what God did. They didn't experience the discipline. They didn't see his greatness. They didn't see all those wonderful things, the miracles that happened as the children were, were leaving Egypt. And, and we know those great stories of the crossing the river and the water coming down and all of these wonderful stories that took place. Well, the children weren't there. The parents were there. And it goes on in verses uh, down to verse 8, if you want to go down that far. And it says, so it's you. And he's talking to the parents here. It's, it's you. It's me. It's us. We are the ones that are in charge of keeping that, in, that commandment so that we will have strength to possess all that there is, the, all that God has for us in that land. He's talking about the promised land. It's our obedience. It's our obedience that reflects on a long life that God has promised to us and to our children. It all comes back to us. And that is so countercultural because just as John opened up, our culture wants to say it's, it's everyone else. It's, it's so-and-so's fault that this happens. It's, it's, this is the reason why we're in such a mess because so-and-so did this or our government is doing that or our teachers aren't doing that or my doctor's not doing that. It's always somebody else's fault. But scripture is very clear here that when it comes to parenting, when it comes to raising our children, it all comes back to us. Our attitudes our responses, our priorities, our obedience. Um, I came across this quote, and I um, hope that it can kind of go up on the screen. I thought this was a, a fascinating quote. I cannot be a teacher without exposing who I am. As we go on in this chapter in Deuteronomy, we are admonished in verses 18 to 21 to become the teachers, to teach our children. But we cannot be teachers without really exposing the truth of who we are. It, it just, it, it's just going to happen, right? Your kids, 
those around you, we're going to be able to see through the phoniness, uh, see through the, the shallowness. Uh, we cannot be teachers without exposing who we truly are. And that's why it's so important that we uh, learn to uh, be people or women, I guess this is Mother's Day, mothers and fathers who guard and guide uh, God's word in our own lives and in the lives of their children. So we then become the teachers. And this is my favorite part of this chapter, verses 18 to 21. And I am going to read this section. Place these. So this, so this is Deuteronomy 11. Yeah. Place these words on your hearts. Keep them deep inside you. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you are. Sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. Inscribe them on the doorposts and gates of your cities so that you will live long, that you'll live a long time and your children with you on the soil that God has promised to give you and your ancestors as long as there is sky over the earth. Every day is a classroom day. Every day has teachable moments and we can only teach out of what we no, we can only teach out of what we understand. There's a great, uh, when I was thinking of this, I thought of this example, and it's, it involves me, but it wasn't me. And it was when I was working at the bank. Uh, I was working at the bank as a teller some years back. And I remember it was a very busy day, and a lady was in line with her young girl, and she came up to my till, and, and I, I responded. I did whatever it was she wanted, you know, cashed her check, did yada, 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 and off she went. Well, um, I saw her in line uh, not that long later, maybe a few hours later, I saw her again in line, and I wondered, oh, I wonder what she forgot. And then as I saw, you know, um, she was actually waiting, so a customer, another teller would be free, and she wouldn't go there. She, would, she just stood waiting and allowed someone else to go ahead of her, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. She's coming straight to me. So I became available, and here she comes. Well... She was just fit to be tied. She was sure that I had stolen $100 from her, that I had shortchanged her $100. And so, of course, for any of you who work in banks, back then we used to score the back of a check with what we had given out. And so I filed through my, my papers and got her, her receipt and looked at it and it added up. And I said, I'm sorry, you know, I, it seems that I've given you the correct amount. But if I'm out at the end of the day when we balance, we'll be happy to, you know, give you that money. And she said, well, you should, and she became very loud. And she said, they should check your purse. It's in your purse. You stole it. And it was really loud. And of course, I was embarrassed and my friend, my fellow uh, employee workers were embarrassed for me, and it was quite the scene. And so I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I just didn't know what to do. I felt like giving her the money. I mean, it's not my money, it was the bank's money, so I, I was free to give it. But that wasn't their policy, so I couldn't do that. Anyway, she went away. Well, we were just about to close up, and didn't I see this lady again? I thought, oh my goodness, this day is just going from bad to worse. And again, she waited for me and waited and waited, and she had her little daughter with her. And this time when she came up to my till, 
she had some flowers and she had a box of chocolates. And she said, I have to apologize. The money, she had separated it because one, some was for groceries and some was for this and some was for that. So she actually had separated it in her purse. And this money had kind of slipped in between two parts of her purse. And it wasn't until she really went through everything that she found it. And I said to her, oh, you didn't need to come in. I'm just glad you, you, you found your money. And she said, no, I needed to come in. And I needed to bring my daughter with me. And I, I remembered that, you know, and I've thought of that often. How often, you know, we have made mistakes or acted in a way or reacted. And we just kind of shuffed it off and, and just said, oh, well, <laughs> that was a bad day. And, and then we teach our children something else. But this woman, uh, she brought this young child with her again so that this child could witness her saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I shouldn't have reacted that way. What a teachable moment it was for that lady, for me, and for this young gal. And, um, you know, God wants us to be good, good teachers. And we cannot be a good teacher without exposing who we are. So it's important that we build on that true and sure foundation. Thank you. Uh Let's go to the third thing now from Romans chapter 12. We're really talking here, uh, this is the challenge we want to leave for our relationships and the challenge we want to leave for uh, us as we speak into the next generation. Really understand the culture we are a part of is very different than the culture of the world. And here's the third statement in Romans chapter 12. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what he does for us. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us. So this is very contrary to the primary belief systems in the world today which says it's all about us. It's all about us. The only way for you to get life, the only way for your kids to get life, is to understand what God is. Uh, and you understand what God is by what he does. Um, R.J. Rushduni said this, September 1st, 2001, he's 85 years of age. This is one of the last articles he wrote. He died a few weeks afterwards. Christianity and humanism are diametrically opposed religions. One is the worship of the sovereign and triune God. The other is the worship of man. We have to teach our kids, we have to teach ourselves that life is not about us. Life is about him. And until we get that deep in our hearts and we pass it on to our kids and our, our, uh, our grandchildren, we're emphasizing that in our youth ministries, our junior, minist junior youth ministries, our children's ministries, 
They're going to be gobbled up by our culture. But we are not part of this culture. We are part of uh, the Lord's culture, the kingdom of God. So talk to us here, Don. We've got about seven minutes to wrap this up. So. so there's another great story. Sorry. There's another great story in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Joshua. Joshua chapter 22. And in this story, we have the children of Israel just about to go into the promised land. And two of the tribes, two and a half of the tribes, decide that they want to stay on this side of the Jordan River and not cross over into the promised land. And so Joshua says to them, that's fine. Well, first he checks with God, and God says, sure, that, that's okay. And so he says to them, that's, that's fine. You can stay on this side. But when your brothers and all the other tribes go over into the promised land and it's time to fight enemies over there to claim the land, we want you to come along and fight with us. These are your brothers and you need to stand with them. And so the tribes, it was uh, Judah, uh, Gad, and half of Manasseh, they say, okay, we'll do that. And so, of course, this is what happens. The children of Israel go into the promised land they begin to fight the enemies that are there taking over the land. And so these tribes come along and help. And so it was some years later that all of the victories had been won and the children of Israel were now comfortable into the promised land. And so these tribes decide, well, it's time for us to go back home. So they cross back over the Jordan to where they had lived. And when they got there, uh, they decided to build an altar. So they built this beautiful altar. And so their brothers could look over the Jordan River. If you've been to Israel, it's not a very big river. And so they could look over, and they saw this. And they thought, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. Now they, they've not only left us, but now they're building an altar to false gods. It's, it's amazing what presuming things can happen. <laughs> you can presume things and get yourself into trouble. But anyway... Uh, so they decided to send out a scouting party. So they set out a scouting party to see exactly what was going on. And this scouting party uh, came up with the information that that's not exactly what was happening. Um, and if you go down to, and we're in Joshua now, Joshua chapter 22. So go down to about verses 24. And you see that now they're saying, but that's not the way it is. We didn't do this to build an altar to another God. We did it because we cared. We were anxious lest someday your children should say to our children, you're not connected to God, the God of Israel. God made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites have no part in God, and then your children might cause our children to quit worshiping God. So we said to ourselves, let's do something. Let's build an altar, not a burnt offering altar, but not for sacrifices, but an altar that will serve as a witness between you and us and our children coming after us, a witness to the altar where we can worship God in his sacred dwellings um, with our whole burnt offerings and our sacrifices and peace offerings. This way, your children won't be able to say to our children, you have no part of God. So this was an altar that they built that would represent their love for God. And as I was reading this story, I love this story because I think it's so important 
in our lives that through our experiences as we are raising our children that we are sharing stories with him this was going to serve as a visual a visual for the day when they they worked together and they they fought together and they were brothers together and they loved the same God and that's what this altar represented and it's so easy in our lives to perhaps build idols we all seem to be very easy at building idols things that are important to to us to me uh, that center around really nothing important and here we are encouraged not to build idols but to begin to build altars things that our children can look at and they can see that God has been faithful to us um, one of the things I like to do and I think I've mentioned this many times is I've written down many of the stories that my parents and John's parents have told us over the years um, and there's four services, so I'm going to share four different stories from each of our parents. Uh, and I consider these um, rocks in the altar. And sometimes when I'm praying, I'll be praying for something, and I'll, I'll even add that on. You know, oh, Father, make this, can you make this a, another rock in, in, in the altar that I can show my sons and my grandchildren, that I can point to this, this rock and say, this was a time when God answered our prayer. Uh, building altars. And I'll start with this great story of John's grandfather. And uh, I have written down here, Grandpa Emil, his wife, two children, Adeline and Zephyrin, were leaving, uh, living in the German-occupied part of Russia. As World War II was approaching, the situation in their town was getting very tense. The Russians were becoming more and more intolerant of the Germans, and life for them was beginning to be very difficult. Grandpa felt in his heart it was time to move his family to a safer home, and he decided to move to the U.S. where his brother was. He secretly st started to make plans to escape. The Russians more and more became aware of the Germans escaping to the States and began to put away any that they had found trying to move in prison camps and confinement camps. Grandpa changed his plans and secretly decided to come to Canada. He told no one. He began to save money in an old shoebox which he kept hidden under the kitchen floor. As the time grew close, Grandpa wanted to check to see how much money he had managed to save. One evening, he decided to dig up the old shoebox and count his money. He sat at the kitchen table and placed the box in front of him. Suddenly, there was a bang on the door, and soldiers burst into his home. Somehow, word had gotten out that Emil Drisner and his young family were planning to escape. As Grandpa sat there at the kitchen table, the soldiers began to tear the house apart looking for the money they would need for their journey. Grandpa sat still, offered no objections, and silently prayed, blind their eyes, Lord, blind their eyes. He prayed it over and over as he sat at the kitchen table with the shoebox of money in plain view. After turning, after turning the house upside down, they, they left as abruptly as they had come, the shoebox and its precious contents of money safely sitting on the table. God had answered Grandpa's prayer. They left for Canada a few days later, Grandpa, his wife, his sister, and his two small children. They made their home in Barhead, Alberta, 
had four more children, and God was with them all. And of course, John's dad, Reuben, was born here in Canada. And so these are the stones that we need to build our altars with. How much time we waste building idols. Idols that have no power, no meaning. But let's together build strong altars for our homes. Friends, we're, friends, we're part of a very different kingdom. Our lives are not about here. We are people who cannot allow ourselves to be swallowed up by our culture. We have to be people who are pursuing the kingdom of God. Building your life on any other foundation is not a solid place to build. Let me read a closing portion to you from Matthew chapter 7. Do all the rentals you want, but if you don't get your foundation right, your life and house will still crumble. Worship band coming along, please. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, burst against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. The belief systems of the world, friends, are sandy ground. They will not stand the test of time because they're built upon us. And we're frail, temporary <laughs> beings. Build your life upon him. Build your life upon his word. Do it at work. Teach it in your homes. It's rental time. Are you swallowing up our, our culture without even thinking about it? Or are you really giving God the place he deserves? Let's think about that as we stand and worship together. Online, take a moment to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you as well as we worship together. <laughs>